My name is Stephen Moore and I'm the presenter of the Your Law Firm Success podcast. This podcast explores the routes to law firm success. We chat to those who have done it, those who are doing it, and those who help law firms do it. This podcast is brought to you by MLT Digital, the leaders in law firm success. In this episode of the Your Law Firm Success podcast, I chat to Murray Matheson of Positively Legal. Murray is pretty self-effacing about his achievements, but he has worked with some of the biggest firms in the world and has built a very, very successful business coaching, helping, instructing, advising both law firms and lawyers from, I, I know, for now 22 years or so. In this edition, we talk about mindset. Now, you may see that as being a fluffy term or something that's quite hard to define. But the fact is, is that changing your mindset around how you approach your work, how you approach fee earning, how you approach business development and how you approach your, your day can have two very significant impacts. One is on reducing the anxiety that you may have around work and two is around the growth of your law firm. So Murray, thank you very much for spending some time with me today. I know your time's valuable. Pleasure, um, Stephen. I was wondering if you could start, for those who don't know you, explaining just a wee bit about your background, um, how you've got to where you mm -hmm. are and actually where you are now. Okay, thanks. So I started off, I'm actually a non-practicing solicitor and accredited business coach. Started off uh, in the mid 80s, working for a small firm in Glasgow, Browning and Bowes. So I was there for four years, it was a chamber practice. So for those listeners who, who aren't lawyers, that means it didn't do any lit litigation. It was wills, trusts, conveyancing, some um, commercial work, etc. Uh, and then I went to Brodie's and did corporate work for a couple of years there. And then I became an attorney at law in the Turks and Caicos Islands in the British West Indies. Uh, about a three or four partner from there. Uh, but I'd always wanted to go into business and I saw the biggest avenue for that to become an in-house lawyer, a general counsel. So I made the move into Jetstream Aircraft in Presswick. We built turboprop aircraft, 1929 seaters, and it was part of BAE Systems. What is now BAE Systems was British Aerospace PLC. Uh, so I ended up as legal director there in charge of a, a department of three or four uh, at any one time. Uh, but we're part of a global department of about 50 in-house lawyers and, of course, was instructing a lot of law firms. So I saw everything from the client side. Uh, the aircraft manufacturing programme uh, ceased and I took a job as the first in-house lawyer at the Scottish Football Association. So I was legal director or director of legal and special projects at the SFA. I uh, was there for a couple of years. It was really, really enjoyable. Some some excellent work as it had been at BAE as well. Uh, and then I moved on to Bar, which is a private limited company, about 100 million turnover. Not Bar, the iron brew company, Bar Construction, Environmental, etc. So again, an excellent work portfolio. We were doing PFIs, we were building football stadia. We did the St. Mary's Stadium at, at Southampton. And I then saw a gap in the market basically, uh, and it started off as training workshops on client awareness. That was really the, the first stage of Positively Legal, set up Positively Legal in 2001, and 22 years later, I'm still here. Uh, Positively Legal has developed 
it's still only me. I sometimes work with other consultants, but it's broadly me. Uh, and I have three ways of delivery, if you like. So I've got one-to-one coaching, became a coach 2004. I've got one-to-one coaching. I've got bespoke group training. I say bespoke because I don't do open training. I do it for specific groups within specific law firms uh, and consultancy. And the the main areas, if you like, I don't do anything on how to become a better technical lawyer. It's all around things like particularly strategic planning, leadership, business development. And then I've got some niche areas like uh, designing and implementing partner appraisals, uh, retiring partner programmes. All right, brilliant. Um, I mean, I, we first got uh, into contact, I think maybe about 16 years or so mm-hmm. ago. So that was relatively early in your positively legal That's right. journey. What type of firms do you typically work with, or has that changed a lot over the course of the past? There, yeah, it hasn't really changed. Uh, it's a very broad range. What I have found in the last few years is that our smaller firms are starting to, to buy my services a little bit more. And when I say smaller firms, say around five million plus. Right. So it used to be, and I think it shows a bit of a trend in the market, it used to be firms of maybe 15 million plus would would be willing to to use somebody like me because yeah. everything I everything I do is a discretionary purchase, and I am seeing in the market now because the market's becoming, if you like, more sophisticated in terms of trying to be innovative, trying to improve the way they behave as businesses. Smaller firms are now more interested in that, but the range is from five million right up to multi-billion international firms. Because for the first time that we worked together, I think it was for a firm where I was doing some retained work and you were brought in to help out with tenders. That's right. And I remember the discussion amongst the partners was whether or not they should be bringing in somebody Mm -hmm. external to help with something as important and they were encouraged to do so. And I remember working with you and I was fairly astonished by the level of detail that you went into, Mm -hmm. your commitment to quality and language. And to such an extent, I remember actually that we worked together through the night on Mm -hmm. one of those tenders when all the other partners had gone home. And I think it probably reflected or certainly was a very clear example for me as to how somebody was able, despite being what one might consider as being expensive to deliver a significant amount of value. And I imagine that's what's underpinned the growth and the fact that you've been able to sustain and grow positively legal so successfully for such a long period. Well, thanks for the compliment. It's the first time you <laughs> you told me that you were so astonished by the quality of the work. Oh, uh, yeah. What, what, I, what I also remember about that evening is that we were both starving and thirsty and we didn't know our way around. So we found a fridge and you you, you drank half a pint of milk. <laughs> and about, uh, about two hours later, uh, you were struggling because it was about six months out of date. Yeah. Uh, but one, yeah, one, of the, one of the things about that exercise actually tells you quite a lot about the way lawyers think and behave differently to to other uh, business sectors. Yeah. Because I remember speaking to one of the partners there about two days before the tender was to be put in. And if this tender, you'll remember, if this tender uh, had been won, uh, which I think it was, yeah, it was, it was going to improve the turnover of the firm by 8% or something like that. Yeah. 
And I was asking the partner how it was going late one night. And he said, oh, could you come back in again tomorrow, Murray? It's, it's really tough going this. He said, I actually can't wait till Thursday morning and I can get back to doing my work. Yeah. Well, and no, I thought I'm, to myself, yeah. if this isn't work, what is work? Yeah. And we can maybe come on to that later. Yeah, and I think um, that is a good segue for our sort of discussion because you haven't heard the podcast today so far, but what we have been chatting about or what has been a recurring theme has been around the importance of business development within mm -hmm. a practice in order to grow a mm -hmm. firm. You know, sales are the lifeblood of, of any business. And each of those individuals that I have spoken to, whether it be Austin Lafferty, Stephen Gold, Greg White, and then Bernard Savage has talked about, certainly the, le the lawyers within that group, about how they've moved from being technical lawyers to effectively mm -hmm. specialising almost entirely in sales. And I think to cover, you know, you've worked a lot with individuals and there was a quote I had from Stephen Gold's section, which I wanted to play with mm -hmm. you, play for you that I thought could form an interesting start to our discussion. So I'll just, hopefully this Lawyers works. Are, if, you, if you scratch the surface of the average solicitor, then I think you find somebody who is analytical, uh, suspicious, uh, maybe quite reserved in their dealings a lot of the time, risk averse, petrify the personal failure. Uh, and these are all fantastic qualities for keeping clients out of trouble and, and solving complex problems. But you probably wouldn't find Richard Branson describing himself that way. So I, I know that a large aspect of your career has involved coaching mm -hmm. individual solicitors. Just before we go into considering that, how many lawyers do you think, you know, I know you don't know the exact, well, I thought you might do, but I don't think you do the exact number and across how many countries? I, I don't have an exact number, but it'll be well into the hundreds. It, yeah. may, it may be over a thousand. Uh, in terms of countries, Positively legal. I actually worked this out last summer. And I surprised myself. Uh, I've been to twenty-one different countries as working as positively legal, not coaching lawyers in every single country, uh, either doing training or consultancy or coaching. One of the one of the interesting things before I get on to Stephen's quote, which is very insightful. One of the interesting things is that the issues that lawyers face in their general day-to-day -day business and working long-term tend to be exactly the same whether they're in a 5 million turnover firm or a 2.5 billion turnover international firm. They're the same sort of issues from an individual mindset and approach perspective. They just maybe have different emphasis and different contexts. Okay, uh, that's interesting because I do, I was going to raise that, you know, that you have worked with firms from magic circle firms down to, as you say, small, you know, smaller mm -hmm. firms. And we talk about small, you know, I know at that time, maybe the firm that we were talking about was maybe turning over about 10 million or mm -hmm. so. Um, so it's still a significant business. And this podcast is aimed at lawyers within small to medium practices. Yeah. And I think maybe they sometimes think that the difficulties they face are unique to their sector. But what you are I think suggesting to me is that actually those problems are uniform, 
as are the mindset challenges that individual lawyers face in terms of how they can work out how to make their law firms more successful? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and, I mean, the, the fundamentals, I think, are the whole, the whole training and approach of a lawyer is counterintuitive to what a business leader, an entrepreneur, a high-growth business should be. First of all, we as lawyers look backwards all the time in our work. We look at precedents, case law, uh, templates for agreements, etc., etc. So we're always looking backwards. And the core job of many lawyers in most situations is to minimise risk for the client. So if you think of it, entrepreneurs, business leaders look forwards and take risks. Mm -hmm. So from that perspective, we're, we're, we're designed wrongly to, to grow businesses, to be successful business people. And then linked to that, you have the concept of the producer-manager. So we're completely different from other sectors, whereby accountants are a good example, but even manufacturing sector, etc. The all almost all the leaders, particularly in the law firms we're talking about, small to medium size, which I would talk about up to say forty million, something like that. Almost every single partner is on the production line, so they have an hour's target to do the work, as they call it, every year, and they're absolutely focused on producing. Okay. Rather than managing and leading, that's the core aspect of their business. And added to that, to make it worse, is that in many cases, if you're if you're working on a time based, an hourly rate or a daily rate, the longer it takes you to create the product, the more money you get. So there's a whole disincentive to do the other stuff like strategic planning, team working, business development, etc. And you know, it's interesting you mention risk because you. Again, you haven't heard this, but Greg White, who has grown Jones White from zero mm -hmm. to 264 lawyers within a space of 10 years. When I asked him what the most important lever that he could he had pulled in relation to his law firm's success, he, he mentioned risk mm -hmm. and an, an appetite for yeah. risk. He did mention that there was a number of occasions where he's almost fallen out with his business partner because his attitude is different yeah. to his business partners and having reflected on it he was glad on that occasion but so talk, thinking about Stephen's comment you find somebody who's analytical suspicious maybe quite reserved in their dealings a lot of the time risk averse and petrified of personal failure is that something that resonates with you and how is it that you work with lawyers on an individual basis to perhaps counter some of those behaviours so they can build the law firm of their dreams or the practice of their dreams? Right, well, I mean, going back to, to Stephen's comment, one of the things he says is, is suspicion. Mm. So... Yes, lawyers are suspicious. And, and I come across one of the big blockers for getting people like me in is uh, it's just for smaller firms, it's just it's just corporate bullshit. Right. Right. So if you look at that into language, you know, corporate jargon, things like 
the low-hanging fruit opportunities, putting the third leg in the stool, yeah, that's corporate jargon, if you like. It's not particularly useful. Mm -hmm. But there's also effective business language. So KPIs, smart objectives. Now, lawyers tend to put all that into the same bucket, which is corporate rubbish. I'm a lawyer. I'll get on and do it the way we lawyers do. So that that's part of the suspicion thing. And that permeates through, and particularly with the fear of failure, I think subconsciously that links into the business development. So in terms of not doing business development, yes, there's a lot of it is around risk, but a lot of it is about not actually quite understanding what it is and habit and fear of failure. Mm -hmm. So from a coaching perspective, you know, coaching is basically asking questions. And the way I explain it to people is coaching is asking, mentoring is telling. So mm -hmm. most coaches, whether they realise it or not, start off with a base of coaching, which is asking questions. And then when necessary, they put in the mentoring bit in my experience or how about trying out this handout or reading this book or whatever. So one of, one of the things about the coaching that I do is just to, to help people realise what the overall situation is with lawyers. And one of the sort of almost therapeutic things that comes out a lot is, oh, so I'm not the only one that's got this problem. So I do, I, I try to create some sort of framework for them and I try to enable them to come up with, or I give them if necessary, some practical ways to change what their habits are. Because a lot of it is mindset and habit. So not on a BD perspective, but on a general perspective, often I'll get a situation, say with a salaried partner quite recently, a few weeks ago, a salaried partner in a British law firm trying to pull together an innovative project into her practice, which is completely different from what the type of work that they've done before and was struggling to get from the thought process to actually getting some traction, working out how you'd put it together, speaking to decision makers in the, in the firm, etc. And I said, so what, what, what you're struggling to do is try to get thinking time. Yeah, that's right. I said, so if you're working from home one day and it was a Thursday morning, it was a nice morning and you started work at nine o'clock, would you go out for a walk and just think about this project, how you would put it together and maybe do that from nine o'clock till half past 10. And I knew what, what would be said. No, I wouldn't do that. Why not? Because I would be, feel guilty that I'm not doing billable hours. I'm not basically on the production line. I said, would you go out from five o'clock till half past six? Oh yes. So that that's how uh, the the producer, manager, lawyer mindset and habit and attitude really affects the growth of law firm businesses, because everybody's most people are built into in core hours were on the production line, and all the other stuff is lunchtime, evening, or weekend. Mm. So a lot of the work I do is is just to change that habit and talk about impact and value rather than it's the habit to do this at this time of the week. The that same firm that we worked upon that we worked on years ago. I mean, you know, I sh struggled in the same way as maybe some, as others would, and maybe you did as well, to gain traction within mm -hmm. firms because despite having done 
legal training, I wasn't a fee earner. Mm -hmm. And there was a mantra within that firm, which was fear and a good, non fear and a bad. There's a mantra in the whole sector like that. Yeah. Um, do you think that that is something that can be changed for the lawyer? Because it seems to me that from the firms that I've spoken to, it's only been on the occasion where the principal or the founder mm -hmm. is new business oriented that they are then able to make that step towards making their firm yeah. successful? It is changing and not without exception, but generally speaking, the much larger firms are changing. So there's much more credit given specifically and, if you like, in the mind to senior associates, partners who are doing other type of work to push the business forward other than just fee earning. And sometimes you get that in small firms. Some, I'm working with a firm, a really, really innovative firm, a, around 10 million turnover. They've got a management board and there's only one what I call jobbing partner on the board. Uh, one of them's a project, an integration uh, partner. The CEO is an accountant, etc. So it is changing. The other thing I would say, Stephen, is that, that the focus tends to be in business development. So you're going to push your firm forward by getting more sales, more people involved in more sales, and they're more productive in doing that. But also there's a whole other aspect around that, better self-management of individuals, better strategic planning at an organisational team and individual level, better focus on financial performance, not just uh, how many billable hours are we doing, what's profitability, but also... You know what are lockup days? How much age? How much debt do we have? How much work in progress do we have? How can we shorten our lockup days from 110 days to 83 or whatever on average? Better leadership. All these issues link into your law firm success, and I think there is a bit of a preponderance to to focus only on business development and these other things. For example, if you reduce your lockup days uh, by five or 10% over a year, that has a massive impact on the success of your firm. Mm. Now, to, to, to go back to the first thing which you mentioned, self-management, mm -hmm. what do you mean by that? Lawyers tend to be incredibly busy in terms of the hours they're working and incredibly disorganised within the context of that work. So, so many of them don't even have a list, never mind a strategic plan. So they come in and just batter through their day, yeah. batter through the files, time record, then go up the road. That's right. And lack of prioritisation. A good example is, you know, I'll sometimes ask for, you know, if I'm coaching somebody and it's and it's on business development and do you have a BD plan? So what you'll get is a, a list of 50 clients, potential clients. Right. No prioritisation. Where are you going to start? Right. I don't really know. And so there's so much of it, they put it to the side and go back yeah. into the comfort zone of doing the work. So from a BD perspective, trying to appreciate that often it's more valuable to go to a client's factory or office at 10 o'clock on a Thursday morning than going to an evening networking event. Yeah. But they'll tend to do the evening networking event because it's outside of the core hours. So from a self-management point of view, because that to me sounds 
pretty basic, but I can understand that, you know, we've both been in the offices where you walk in to a law firm and there's files literally everywhere. And I think at points that could have been seen as a sign of industry, mm -hmm. you know, and deserving of, of kudos. Um, what tips would you give to those within a busy practice around how they can begin to manage their day more effectively? Well, I think the, the first is a good question. The, the, the first thing is actually to have a list. Now, whether that's an overall strategic plan for yourself over the next six months, the next year, I think that, or it's just what you do the next day, that's helpful. That actually, it, it, you wouldn't believe how many lawyers don't have anything like that at all. At all and levels the, of firm. At, at all levels of firm. Right. And the anxiety that that raises. So many, many firms will have personal development plans. Obviously, that's becoming more common. But again, the frequency with that might be overall objectives and five competencies, like financial performance, clients, technical expertise, etc. But the frequency with which they look at that competency framework and their objectives might be very, very low. So what you find is that when they do come out with some sort of daily list or weekly list, whatever it might be, the main benefit from that is a reduction of anxiety. Right. Because they get it down. Then you need to prioritise. So if you go back to the, the client list, I always say that you, you, know, you always sell to a man. Right. So I can imagine people listening to this are going, did he actually say that? You always sell to a man. But what I mean by that is you sell to the, the person or the team or the organisation that has the money. Yes, the authority, i.e. to make the decision, okay. and the need. Okay. So if you've got 50 potential clients to approach and you do it on that basis, which, which of them have I've got the funding, funding, who in there have got the authority to make the decision to buy you, and who have the immediate or short-term requirement, that's a good way to prioritise. Okay. So you can pick your top three or your top five and then you work on them. So you start off with a list for the day, mm -hmm. you begin to prioritise that. Now, what we are talking about is law firm success and that comes in, in various different guises. And as you, as you say, there's business development that's talked about a lot, but there are a range of other factors within there. For, in your experience, I don't know if you're going to be able to answer this, but in your experience from the solicitors that you have dealt with, who you have been most impressed by in terms of their, perhaps their organisation, their personal management, the way that they have pro approached things. What lessons have you learned from them? Are you able to share or what, say, maybe characteristics or aspects of behaviour from them? Would you say others could adopt relatively easy with some practice? Easily with practice, sorry. Right, easily with practice is interesting because none of the stuff I do and none of the things that we're talking about are intellectually challenging. Yeah. So that, that's the first thing. They're very behaviourally challenging. I mean, you, you'd said that it seems like common sense. Yeah, it, it, most of it is common sense and the difficulties are driven by habit. So I think the, the just the acknowledgement of that to people 
that it's not a lot of this isn't difficult. Another thing is that, that I think the the lawyers who do well in, in this type of thing don't fall into the, the legal trap of something has to be complex to be valuable. Okay. So a classic is with smart objectives. You know, I remember one of my sons, they were doing, at his high school, they were, they were doing a new thing of setting smart objectives for the year. So I went in for a meeting with his guidance teacher. We had a chat and said, right, I'll, I'll now draft three objectives for Stuart. And the guy drafted three smart objectives, time scale, et cetera, et cetera, within about two minutes. Mm. And I work with lawyers sometimes for 45 minutes trying to get them into the mindset of how you do a smart objective. And it's I think it's because they think that it has to be really complicated for it to be valuable. Okay. Which aligns with the work. So if you have if you if you acknowledge that and do things in, in a simple effective manner. I think having the flexibility as well of time, not being a slave to this core hour thing of I've got to be doing billable hours. And also just taking the risk of taking the risk of saying, well, at the partners meeting, I might be the lowest billable partner of the month, but the value I've brought in is 10 times as much as anybody else. And that is where attention comes in. Uh, because, you know, the, by habit, the firms are looking at value through the number of billable hours rather than the amount of work brought in. I think another thing I would say is is that if if lawyers look on the wider level of competencies and give them all some sort of proportionate focus, so whether it's learning development, whether it's chasing up age debt or speaking to your cash department about age debt, whether it's doing a strategic plan with your team rather than just looking at the billable hours and just looking at how many clients we get in. Okay. I don't know if that answers it well or not. Um, I mean, I suppose what you've said to me in answer to that is that actually I'm not going to come out with any there's nothing groundbreaking or particularly intellectually challenging around any of this it's just about following some set routines. Now, SMART, yeah. members of our audience might not know what a SMART objective is. A SMART objective, is it's an objective that's specific, measurable, so you know when you've done it, achievable, results-driven, and time-bound. Okay. And time-bound is often the, the most important bit. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have... Uh, uh, a meeting with my team regarding our strategic plan. Okay. If you don't say by 30th September or something akin to that, the lawyer will always find the excuse not to do that. Okay. Now, I know also you worked with the SFA. Mm -hmm. You're a very keen football fan. Um, the Within the makeup of a team for example, a departmental team in a law firm of a particular size, there's that whole fairness aspect in billable hours. Everybody's yep. a yep. producer and manager. Yep. That's a bit like seeing in a football team, everyone's a centre half. How, what have your observations been around how people can build effective teams by recognising 
skill sets that maybe somebody's not quite so good at the technical stuff, but they're great? Yeah, that that's a that's a really interesting question. It's actually quite a difficult question to answer. Uh, I think the the starting point has to be a realization that many many lawyers either don't want to, or because of the way they they think and they're built, aren't able to become the goal scorer, the right winger, etc. So what I quite often see in law firms with with tenders and pitching, for example, is you have a group of people who work on a on a pitch and the same three people do the written tender as do the oral pitch presentation to the client panel. Now, in many cases, those three people may be suited to writing a really good tender, but not doing the presentation, yeah. doing that aspect of it. But rarely will you get in a small firm three or four people who are naturally good at doing the presentation. So you have to you have to work on that. And it, it's the usual, you know, there's a percentage of maybe maybe ten percent of lawyers or less who are naturally good at that thing, that sort of thing. Ten or twenty percent will never be. And you just have to work with the, the middle eighty percent. But the first thing is the awareness of the firms around that whole team structure. The other thing you say as well is I, I was talking to a friend a few years ago who's a managing partner of a, a large international firm. And just to put this into context, they had 150-ish partners at that stage. And he had met with his chairman to look at who could possibly success, succeed, succeed him. And they looked at the 150 partners who are all leaders in the firm. And out of the 150, they came up with six names. I think that's, I mean, it's interesting. You know, this is like really interesting. I think we could go into different areas, but I suppose what I'm keen to do for this particular is focus on the individual, mm -hmm. you know, because you you mentioned it earlier on and that it's mindset and it's having a restricted mindset that can end up, you end up in a scenario that you don't want to be in and you're unsure how to get out of it. I listened to the Wrong and Chatterjee podcast, the Feel Better, Live More, and he had a very, very interesting person on there talking about uh, Dr. Bruce Lipton, I think it was talking about unlocking the power of the subconscious mind. Mm -hmm. And that as a result of, by the age of seven, you learn certain behaviours and that becomes you. But it's only through practice and repetition and consistency that you're then able to unlock that and yeah. change your aspects of behaviour I suppose what I'm quite keen to understand or to, to give lawyers away from this is some practical tip you know I know you've given me some already but how is it what can they identify in themselves that they can change easily that they can change with others within their practice mm -hmm. with a view to then taking steps forward to becoming more cognizant of the fact that everybody has different different skills. Some of them will limit the growth of their business and some of them will enhance them, but they might not be so good technically. Um, I don't know if that question actually got there in the end. <laughs> I don't know either. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, if you're looking at actual practical tips on how to improve as an individual, there's a self-management stuff. Start off with some kind of strategic plan, even if that's just a daily list. Ideally, you want to do a strategic plan that aligns, if you like, with your firm's strategic plan 
if it has one. So, you know, what you can write down a plan on it and it can be anything. It can be an Excel spreadsheet. It can be on a piece of paper with green felt tip. It doesn't matter. Yeah. What are your three levels of strategy? In other words, a senior associate, I want to become a partner by uh, the middle of 2025. Second level, what are the five areas I need to focus on to do that? So one of them is technical expertise might be, another might be business development, getting new clients in. Another is my financial performance. Another is my leadership capabilities. And another might be community. What kind of pro bono work do I do? So you have these five areas, which are quite basic common sense things. And then the third level is under, under that, pick four or five tactics for each of those areas. So under financial performance, it might be hit 1,600 billable hours. Uh, a second one might be reduce my lockup days, you know, from 113 to 102, or the team's lockup days if you're head of a team. Mm. And you do that. So you have some sort of plan that you can keep referring to as a sort of living document, keep updating and tick off. And you can do that on your own. You don't need to be working with a supervisor or a partner to do that. Another thing I think that is, is well, very important from a business development point of view is to st stand back and look at what develop BD is and what are the areas of BD. So myself and another uh, consultant, Sally, Sally Sanderson of Profex, who you know, Stephen, we came up with a six-segment BD process for lawyers. Starts with organisation and planning, and it finishes with closing the deal. It, in, it includes things like building relationships, building your profile, selling solutions, et cetera, et cetera. But you then go into dividing those six into three sectors, Organisation and planning, and that can be strategically what type of client base are you going for, and it can be how much planning are you doing for the meeting tomorrow at Starbucks with your current client. Secondly, marketing, and thirdly, selling. Now, the work I've done with individuals and also with groups, but let's focus on individuals. If you're a partner, say, and you, do, you maybe do 300 hours of business development each year, what you tend to find is maybe 250 hours of that is actually in marketing. Mm. So you do precious little planning, organisation, and more importantly, you do hardly any follow-up. So you go to the networking event, you tick the box, you talk to a few people, you come back, and in the morning you go in and start doing your work again. So your return on investment is very, very low. So what, what is much better is to actually, you can do the same amount, same 300 hours in BD, but instead of going to 25 marketing events and writing loads and loads of articles and all this kind of thing, you cut that down, you do more, more organisation and planning, and very, very importantly, you do the one-to-one -one follow up after the marketing events. That way you'll get a lot more business in. Yeah, Bernard Savage talked about that in the recent one that we did, the importance of the follow-up. Yeah, how, critical. How critical that is. If I can say as well, Stephen, just at this stage, that brings me on another thing, that the whole concept of plan, do, review, it's, it's a, it's a three-way process. Now, 
I had a, a managing director at BAE who he was in at our place for a year or two and he wasn't he wasn't particularly enthused about lawyers. And uh, he was a difficult sell internally from our point of view to show the value of the lawyer within within Jetstream. But in our first conversation, he said, the problem with, with lawyers, Murray, he said, is uh, that business runs on plan, do, review. And he said, you lot just do. He had hardly any planning. And the most important part of the process is review. And you just never do that. Right. So a good practical tip is, I think, is when you've done a pitch, for example, or you've uh, run a team meeting in a different way from normal, anything like that, you sit down quietly afterwards or you maybe sit with somebody else and you write down or you type up whatever, three things. What went well? What did I learn? And what can I do better next time? And if, for example, if you're doing a lot of tenders or pitches, you can build that up and you look at it before you do each one and slowly but surely your performance will improve. It's interesting. I think that's all very interesting. And, and you know, we've talked about it. I'm very keen on it. The benefit of the plan is not the plan itself. It's the process of doing the planning, which then forces you to think through certain elements and I just to draw this bit to a conclusion or to draw this to a conclusion it's trying to get out of the mindset fear and good or fear and good non-fear and bad which is that time spent planning and then reviewing is as important, if not more important, than actually doing the work itself. Absolutely. And that billing time is not equal to success. Would that be a fair? Absolutely. And the, and the higher you go up the hierarchy of the law firm, the more and more important that becomes. So from the small firm owner, lawyer point of view, it's about breaking out of the mindset that doing equals success and that in order to build a successful law firm, you need to have individuals within the firm who are working as a team and who are encouraged to spend time doing planning, prioritising, setting some goals, then reviewing their progress on an ongoing basis. Would that be right? Absolutely. It's very well put. And and and, <laughs> and the 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 uh, phrase it reminds me of some of what you're saying is uh, implementation is the graveyard of strategy. Right, okay. So that's where the process is really important and the review aspect is really important. So as lawyers we come up with these lovely plans or from a from a firm or team perspective, thirty page plan, everybody goes on a Friday night to to the pub to celebrate the fact that yeah. we've got a really good strategic plan. And the next time they look at it is a year later the night before the away day. Mm. So you've got to do it you've got to have that process to make sure you implement Okay, and, and that that's that's an ongoing process, a review process, a self-review process. A lot of the time, ticking off the objectives that you've achieved. Okay, brilliant. So, 
just there's one thing that I know you would have heard many times. Mm-hmm. I'm too busy. You know, what's your counter to that? You're not too busy. I say this, and it's easy for me to say this, because I'm the external guy that comes in and says, maybe you could improve doing this and that. So it's easy for me to say it. But it's not about being too busy. It's about deciding what you're going to do and what you're going to prioritise within the time you've got. I I did a... Uh, Sally and I did a film a number of years ago uh, interviewing clients, people who dealt with clients a lot of the time. And one of, one of the people was a commercial property developer and he said, it's amazing. He said, you know, with lawyers, all I get is I'm too busy, I'm too busy. And I'm thinking, I'm, they're working all these hours, but they never deliver anything on time or rarely and to budget. And it, it's about deciding what you're going to use your time for and prioritizing. And one of the things is energy. So, you know, if you're at your most creative in the morning, then do the difficult things or the imaginative things first and leave the client work till later. The The word I would focus on is impact. What impact are you going to have by doing something or not doing something, whether it's billable or non-billable work? So if the impact on you, the team, the firm, is going to be positive by chasing up a debt, having a team meeting, writing your plan on a Wednesday morning because that's when you're most creative and it'll also reduce your the anxiety in your head. Think that's going to be a massive impact. So do it then. And then do the less impactful standard client work, the comfort zone stuff. Do that in the evening. Okay. So think about impact. Okay. Which includes impact on the mind. I mean, I think it's... It, you, you've seen it a lot more than me. I think you fall into the trap. And, and I, you know what we're saying here, and what you're saying is that you've got to use your time effectively to deliver the most value for the firm. If that's not built time, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's going to result in a hugely positive impact at the at, yeah in the future. Yeah, and talking of you know leaders of these law firms and taking risks, I think there's got to be and accepting sometime that you and or the people within your firm actually put the client work to the side and focus on other things that will move the firm forward. And going back to the time issue and the prioritisation, another tip is to always ask the client, when are you looking for this for? Because quite often lawyers come out of meetings and they're too busy because they've thought, I just want to get this to the client immediately. And the client's actually thinking, well, any time in the next two or three weeks. And if you ask that question, that time question, it can take a lot of pressure off you. Okay. Thanks, Murray. Thanks very much for your time. Um, Where can people find you if they want to get in touch? Uh, Positivelylegal.co.uk and uh, they can buy my strategic toolkit at uh, Better at Business. Okay, Better at Business. Betteratbusiness.com. Okay, thanks very much, Murray. Nice to see you and, yep, thanks for your time. Good to see you, Stephen. Hopefully hopefully it's been helpful for the listeners. Thanks. Thank you. So thanks very much for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you're enjoying our content. We'd be delighted to hear any feedback that you have. You can find out more about the Your Law Firm Success podcast at 
mltdigital.co.uk forward slash podcast. Please subscribe. Please share with your friends. Please share with anyone who you know that you think would be interested.